finished last week with the first letter and we're going to go into the next letter tonight and it's second thessalonians if you'll turn there second thessalonians chapter one and it is a very short book three chapters and one commentator tongue-in-cheek called it the third letter to the thessalonians and we'll, uh, we'll see that in the first chapter of why he, see if you can figure out why he thought that. So remember, 2 Thessalonians, yep, you sure are. So we're in 2 Thessalonians, and uh, we finished 1 Thessalonians last week, and then uh, the, or the previous week, and then we did a recap on body, soul, and spirit, amen. How many were here for that teaching last week? Um, if you weren't here, I, I highly encourage you to get the tape or get the podcast and listen to that. It uh, was a good summary um, of those things. And um, so we're finished with Paul's first letter, and we're going to start in the first letter, or the second letter. Amen? Praise God. Chapter 1 of the second epistle to the Thessalonians. And they were a church in Thessalonica which is in the area of Greece or Achaia. And this was one of the first writings of Paul, as we saw um, in our intro for the first letter. So let's just pick it up and start reading together in chapter 1 of verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, which that is Silas and Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, the famous Pauline introduction, he, he uses that grace and peace to you. It's in every one of his epistles that he has written to the church. And remember, like we learned, you cannot have peace of God until you have the grace of God. Amen? You, you cannot have the peace of God until you have first experienced the grace of God. Amen. And he says in verse 3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, or the King James says meet, which just means another way of saying it was appropriate or fitting. Because of your faith, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity or your love of every one of you all Toward each other is abounding. So there are, there are two things that he is thanking God for. One, that their faith is growing and that their love is also growing, but it's growing towards each other. Amen. And he also said that what works by love? Paul said faith works by love. Amen. And then in verse four, he says, and so we ourselves, we glory in you and in the churches of God for the patience and faith in all your persecutions and your tribulations that you endure. So there are three things, again, that he's commending the church for their faith, their love and their patience. Um, we saw in his other letter, he called it the patience of hope. So we have the uh, what I like to call the 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 triple bound cord that's not easily broken faith hope and love amen 
and how you judge a Christian and a church community on how they're doing in the Lord, you look at, is their faith growing? Is their love towards each other growing? Is their patience for the Lord's return coming? Are they still uh, attending church? Are they still in the Word? Are they still, you know, faithful to, uh, to teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? Just different things that we see. Now, how do we grow our faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Amen? How do we grow our love? By serving one another. Amen? That's how we grow our love, serving one another. And how do we grow our hope? Well, by enduring in affliction, by enduring tribulation, by persecution. And the reality is, is this, gang, if we, if we really stand up for what we believe and we preach what we believe, you will receive affliction, amen? amen. Especially in this day, praise God. Um, and we're supposed to take revenge on that? No. We're going to see here in a minute. Um, Paul admonishes them here in verse 5. He says, now look, because of their tribulation, in verse 5 it says, it is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Amen. Go with me over real quick. Keep your finger there and turn to Revelation real fast. And we're going to be in somewhere. Let me see. Uh, I'm not sure. Just go to Revelation. I'll tell you where we're going to go here in a minute. Um, everybody there? Yeah, you can just stay in one for a minute, Doris, till I tell you which chapter. I'm looking for it's. Uh, where's that at, Barry? That's the one. I'm looking about you killed the prophets and the saints. I thought that was after the, in somewhere around in the bowls. I should write these scriptures down when I think of them, shouldn't I? That would be helpful. Um, hold on, I'm going to search it real fast. Prophets. 7.14. It is... 16.6. Um, I knew it was in 16. I just couldn't find it. 16, verse 6. Uh, we'll start in verse 5. 16, verse 5. Chapter 16, verse 5. Revelation chapter 16, verse 5. 
Now I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, who art and was and shall be, because you have judged this way or thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. All right. And that was right after the third bowl of wrath was poured out on the waters and they turned to blood. And so they had to, you know, they were drinking blood. They'll be drinking, you know, trying to drink from the waters and they'll be drink. They'll be turned to blood. And the angel, what is he saying? You're righteous to judge in this way, Lord. Because these people have shed innocent blood. They've shed the blood of the saints. They shed the blood of the prophets. And you're righteous in your judgments. And so, and that's what Paul is talking about here. When the church is being persecuted, and that reference that Barry was telling us about in chapter 6, that's the tribulation saints, that is saying, How long, O Lord? How long until you, you know, you're going to take vengeance for us, for what they're doing to your people. And the Lord said, it's coming. It's coming. Amen. What's the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Amen. And, you know, and I think it's important in, in the day that we live in. You know, I lived in Bradford, England, and we had a large Muslim population in Bradford. I mean, we had the second biggest mosque in Europe. That's all of Europe and little old Bradford. And so I've lived with Muslims for, for 15 years. We must guard our hearts as a holy people to not take on a modern day um, situation where we have a, cru the cru a crusade mentality is like what I like to call it. You know, where, you know, how many ever heard of the crusades they had in, in, you know, in history? And that was a supposedly Christendom rising up and trying to battle Islam with the sword. And not the sword, which is the word, but the sword, which is tempered steel. Amen. I'm going to move this a little bit, Ron, so I can see you in Gladys. I feel like I'm a little cut off from you guys over there. And. And I think in this day and age, we have to make sure that we don't get a malicious attitude towards Muslims. Okay? We have to have an attitude that says, Though he slay me, I will trust in you, O Lord. You know, we have to be willing. I'm not saying that, you know, we all got to sit here and you know, become martyrs. That's not what I'm saying tonight. If that if, if, if that be the Lord's will for my life, I'm not going to, you know, stop it. But I just think that we are sometimes we get this malicious attitude towards people of other religions instead of receiving persecution and affliction for standing up what we believe. Amen. I don't I don't think that it is the Christian's job to take up arms against people that believe other things. I just don't see that in the Word of God. I don't see Paul doing that. Paul suffered affliction for what he believed. His own people were persecuting him. You didn't see him go out and hire an army, did you? Amen? So, you know, it's just important that we don't have a malicious mindset 
towards those that do not believe like us. Okay, but if they persecute us, we're supposed to receive it for the patience and the hope that God will get the revenge. Amen. Now, he says here, it's a righteous thing with God to pay back tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, you need to rest with us. If anybody knew trouble for preaching the gospel, Paul the apostle did. Amen. And he said, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Amen. Remember Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, he said, you stiff necked people, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. And they were so mad at Stephen, they lifted up stones and they were stoning him. Amen. And he preached. He didn't back down. But they stoned him to death. They, they laid their robes at, at Paul's feet or Saul's feet at the time. All right. He was there. And he said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of God. Amen. And in his, you know, martyrdom, he saw the living Christ standing next to God. And, you know, the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of God. And I like to think that in Stephen's martyrdom, the Lord stood up to receive Stephen into the kingdom. Amen. And, you know, Stephen saw the Lord. And in our affliction, in our trials and tribulation, when people do not agree with us, even to, you know, threatening our lives. We need to have a confident hope that Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. And we need to see the Lord standing at the right hand of God. Amen. Because one day we will see him coming in the clouds. Now look at this. It says in verse eight, in a flaming fire, he will take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to zoom in real for a minute on that word, obey not, um, in verse 8 here. Now it says, um, I'm sorry? Oh, are you, were you still in Revelation, brother? Oh, you all were? I was I'm sorry. I only wanted to go to Revelation to show you that part where he avenged their blood. And then we're back in Thessalonians now. All right. So Thessalonians chapter one, verse seven. Thank you, brother, for pointing that out. Thessalonians chapter one. I'll read it again. It says, now to you who are troubled, verse seven, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Amen. Amen. That should be a, a place of rest. That's what we should turn to when we're being uh, when we're going through hard times. And then look at verse eight. He says, rest because 
in a flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God or that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we should rest that God will take vengeance. Amen. And that's what he told the tribulation saints in Revelations chapter six, when he said, how long, O Lord? Rest. OK. God knows the fullness of times. He knows how long he needs to let something fill up before it needs to be poured out. What did he say about the Canaanites? You know, the Canaanites, he had knew all along that he was going to raise up Israel out of Egypt when they were in slavery. He gave Abraham a dream and told him that they were going to be enslaved down in Egypt. And they were there for over 400 years. But they were there, the Bible says, until the iniquity of the Canaanites came to its fullness, it says in the Old Testament. God knew when the very last sin was going to tip the scales and the judgment was going to come in. And that's what a lot of people need to understand about Israel and Canaan. Israel conquering the Canaanites was the judgment of God on the fullness of their iniquity. Amen. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. It's about the fullness of the earth's iniquity when God will pour out his wrath, his punishment. Amen. So we're not to get an attitude and we're not to try to do God's job. It's not my job to exercise his vengeance on a people that won't believe on him. Amen. Amen. That's not our job. Our job is to keep preaching the truth, keep standing in that truth. And if that standing causes affliction and tribulation, well, then so let it be. Now, look here, he says to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse eight. Now, I want to look at that word obey for a minute. Um, in verse 8, it says, and they that obey not. That word obey is a pretty cool word. It means to listen, to hearken to. It's to speak of one who on the knock at the door comes to listen to who it is, like a porter who's on duty. So you hear a knocking and you don't just ignore it. You know, a good butler or a steward of the house when he hears a knock at the door he goes to the door and he listens to who that person is amen and so what he's talking about there is what does the revelation say behold i stand at the door and what knock, knock and he that what opens. opens opens the door he that listens and opens the door i will come and I will have supper with him or I will dine with him or have fellowship with him. All right. So the Lord is knocking on the hearts of the human race. And there are people that are ignoring or not obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not hearkening to the knock. To the knock of the door of their heart. Amen. Amen. It's not like the Lord hasn't tried. There'll be no nobody in heaven pointing the finger and saying, this isn't fair, Jesus, I never knew this. You know, 
There's no raw deals in the kingdom of heaven. There's only righteous judgment according to Scripture. Look at verse 9 now. It says, And they shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe in that day, in parentheses, he says, because our testimony among you was believed. Amen. And I like really what he says there. I was doing this in the. Um, I was reading this in the New Living and I like what he said there. He says, are you reading your New Living, Pastor? Is that what you got? Read that last verse there, which are the last part of verse 10. Yep. He will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believe what we told you about him. See there? King James says, For you believed our testimony about him. You believed what we told you about who? Jesus. Jesus. He didn't say you believed what we told you about us. We didn't believe, you didn't believe what we told you about you, but you believed what we told you about him. And we as a church and as a people, we need to be consumed with telling people about him. Yes, amen. I'm looking for the day when the social welfare gospel comes to an end. <laughs> And it's no longer about what I need, but who he is and what he needs. And it's about him. You know, the central message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm sure we're not the only church that has that central message. But I'll tell you what, when I flip on television, I go through the YouTube channels and stuff. There's a whole lot of people telling me about me. And I don't want to hear about me because I tell you, a little of me is way too much. Amen. John the Baptist said he must increase. I must decrease. Amen. I like what Christy says. She says, it's not enough that I decrease. She says he must increase. I must die. Amen. Because <laughs> a little bit of me is too much. And so the power is in the telling about him. Amen. And then verse 11, he says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with what? Power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. First 12 verses of chapter 1, I just wanted to breeze through those really fast um, because the meat of this book is in chapter 2. And that's what we'll get into 
now. So we had an introduction from Paul. We had Paul um, writing about comfort and persecution. What is the comfort and persecution? That God will have revenge. Amen. The vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. All right. Now let's look at chapter two. Of verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our what? Gathering together unto him. Remember what gathering was? Harpazo, our catching away. We said we call it the rapture. Um, we think a better word is the gathering of the saints. Amen. That's what he's talking about. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the harpazo or the gathering together unto him, or the rapture of the saints unto him. We beseech you by these two things. In other words, listen to what I'm saying here now. Verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as if it was from us, as that the day of Christ has come. All right? So, a lot to unpack there for a minute. First of all, there must have been some sort of a letter that was circulated to the Thessalonians with a forgery from Paul. And that's why that one guy said this will be the third letter to the Thessalonians. Amen? <laughs> Because there was, a, there was a counterfeit letter that was being circulated through the church that the day of the Lord had already come. And why were they so shaken up about this, that the day of the Lord had come? Because Paul taught them, and we learn in 1 Thessalonians, that before the day of the Lord, there must be the gathering of the church. So that when they heard that the day of the Lord had come, they were like, well, we have missed the gathering of the saints. And they were shooken up. This is a good evidence that Paul taught that the church would be caught up out of the earth Amen. before the day of the Lord, which represents the wrath of God. Now, a couple of things here first. He says, don't be so soon shaken in mind. Don't be troubled. Whether it come by a word or a letter, one, one says either come by spirit or by a revelation. Um, you know, you got a lot of guys out there that are pretending like they know what they're seeing in heaven and they're prophesying these revelations of things that, can, that are going to happen, but they're not according to Scripture. They're not according to Scripture. And they need to be challenged. And we need to stand boldly against those things if they come, if they're contrary to God's Word. Amen? Amen. Now he says here, don't be shaken by these things. Let no man deceive you, verse 3, by any means. For that day, which day? The day of the Lord shall not come except there come the falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed and that the son of perdition, 
who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. So he's saying, don't you guys remember I told you the order of things that would come before the day of the Lord. That's what he's saying. He was with them for three weeks and he, he expounded on all of these truths. So he said, look here, don't be deceived. I've told you these things. I'm going to remind you again of what I told you when I was with you. He says, the day of the Lord doesn't come except there come a falling away first, right? Boom. First thing, falling away. What's a fall? Excuse me. What's a falling away? The word there is apostasy. It is a great move away from the faith of God. Amen. Where people are going to oppose God. Instead of worship God, okay? The word falling away, the Greek word there is apostasy. All right? First, the day of the Lord. Now, let's be clear what the day of the Lord is first, all right? How many of your translations in verse 2 does it say day of Christ? In verse 2, day of Christ, all right? Probably a lot of your translations may say day of the Lord. Say, Jeremy, what's going on there? Okay, well, here's what's happening here in a nutshell. When we got together a while back, I gave you guys a little breakdown. We've got the, the Greek text by Erasmus, which is called the Textus Receptus. That's where the King James New Testament came from, okay? Later on, as time rolled on, they started finding all the different manuscripts from different places, and they got together a majority text or what they call the Nestle and Allen Greek New Testament now is what it's called. And I think it's in like its 28th version. A lot of your Bibles out there, New Living, New American Standard, um, NIV, um, you know, Holman Translation, a lot of these have the New Testament from that more modern uh, Greek New Testament. And so in the modern Greek New Testament, it's translated Lord. In the Textus Receptus, it's translated Christ, okay? And that's why there's a difference. You say, well, which one should I, which one should I believe, Jeremy? Well, I believe both of them. I like to take each one and compare with one another. If someone said choose one, my personal conviction is, I'd probably choose the Textus Receptus only because, you know, God has been using this version of the Bible for over 400 years. And we've seen some mighty moves of God with the scripture from, from the Textus Receptus, okay? Um, so, you know, that's so if I had to choose one. Now, I'm not saying that those guys, a lot of guys that I love and admire and respect, uh, they, 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 they like that one. And they think that that one's good. I always like to just take both of them and have them side by side. And I let the Holy Spirit do the teaching for me. Amen. I don't believe in a man. I believe in the spirit. Amen. And each and every one of you, including me, has the ability to take God's word and set it down in front of you amidst all of its controversies and say, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. And you show me what is true here. Amen. And that's what I encourage you guys to do. 
Now, the reason why I bring that up is because there's a lot of guys that use the fact that there's the word day of Christ there. They think that he's talking about the day of Christ being the gathering of the saints. Yeah. And the day of Christ, according to Philippians, is the gathering of the saints. There is a day of Christ when we will be with the church. All right. But there's also a day of the Lord, which is Jesus coming back down to earth on Mount Olives. So you got day of the Lord with the earth, with Jesus coming to earth. You got the day of Christ with Jesus coming in the clouds. Amen. Which one are these? It's it, it's you. You be the judge. You let the Holy Spirit show you. But I know. But I know when we get down to verse two, when he says. Don't let your mind soon be troubled. And then he says in verse three, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed. I know that's the day of the Lord because of what we learned in Daniel chapter nine. Remember when he said in the 70th week, he says the son of perdition will come and he will make a covenant with Israel. And in the midst of the week, he will break it and he will set himself up as God in the temple. Daniel calls it the abomination of desolation. Jesus referenced, referenced that in Matthew 24 when the disciples said, Lord, show us a sign that these things be. And he said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then you'll know. All right. So that's what the context of verse three is. So I know verse three is talking about the day of the Lord. There's no controversy there. OK, so he's saying that the day of the Lord, when the God comes back in vengeance, two things are going to happen. A falling away. And the man of sin be revealed. Who is this man of sin? He's the Antichrist. He's got many names. The son of perdition is another name for him. Um, he is a ruler of some description, human, that is possessed by Satan. And he becomes, in verse 4, look what it says. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. He opposes God. He exalts himself above God. Who does that sound like? Lucifer. Lucifer did that, didn't he? Yes, he did. And that's how he was cast out. And this is Lucifer filling this guy up with the same spirit. Amen. Now, we don't call him Lucifer anymore. He's called Satan now. Lucifer was his name before he fell. After Lucifer fell, he was called Satan, the serpent, that dragon, the devil. Amen. Now, he says... He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he, this man of sin, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The temple, a physical, real life temple that is going to be built in Jerusalem. That verse four there is the abomination of desolation. Spoken of in Matthew 24 and in Daniel chapter 9, okay? So, 
A great falling away has to come first. And then the man of sin has to be revealed. All right. Um, uh, Vernon McGee, he said a neat thing. He said, he says, the sin of man brings the man of sin. Amen. First, you have to have the sin of man, which is the apostasy. The sin of man brings the man of sin. It sets it up, doesn't it? So those two things has to happen. So we know I don't have to fear that the, I've lost the uh, I've missed the rapture because, first of all, I look at Jerusalem. Do we see a temple there? No. We know that the man of sin is going to exalt himself in the temple. That's that's first of all. All right. The man of sin has not been revealed. We're so busy as a church trying to look for the Antichrist. But Paul tells the church to look for the Christ who's coming in the clouds. I don't have to be worried about the Antichrist because I'm going to be with Christ. Amen. So I don't care if, if uh, you know, Donald Trump's name spelled in the uh, numerical code is 666 or, you know, I'm not looking for all these different guys that are coming down the pike that who's going to be the Antichrist? Who's he going to be? Paul doesn't admonish us to look for the Antichrist. He tells us to look for the coming Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Did you have a question, brother? Yes, it's a very strict opposition. And we're going to see that here in just a minute, okay? That'll answer more of your question. All right, so verse 5, he says, Now remember when I was with you, I told you these things. So he's already told these guys that these are the things that have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. But somebody wrote a letter or somebody prophesied, and all of a sudden they're getting all freaked out that they have missed the rapture. And he's like, hey, man, be cool. Be cool in Jesus' name. Amen? Verse 6. Now, listen, I love verse 6 here. He says, Now, you know what restraineth that he might be revealed in his time. What's your King James say? Withholds. You, you know that which withholds? What's your say, Jeff? Withhold? All right, another version, another thing there would be restraineth or holds back is what he's trying to say now. He says, you know what is holding back the man of sin to be revealed is what he's saying. You know what's holding back that he might be revealed in his time. You see, the man of sin has a time that he's to be revealed. The Lord knows that time. We don't know that time, but the Lord does. But he says, but you know what's holding him back from being revealed. For the mystery of iniquity or lawlessness, it's already working. Amen. Only he who now, the King James says, letteth, will let. Now, that's very hard, old, old English there, okay? He who now letteth will let. I, I just hear, 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 hear when I read that. 
Another way you could say it is the mystery of lawlessness is already working. Only he who now hinders will continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. All right. So what he's saying here is, you know what's holding this man of sin back. And this man of sin will continue to be held back until the restrainer is taking out of the way and then he will be revealed. Now he says, until he be taken out of the way. Now hold your finger right there. Notice it says, until he be taken out of the way. John 14, 16. I want to look real closely at that pronoun he. John 14, 16. Keep your finger in Thessalonians and go over to John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 16. Now, chapter 16, or chapter 14, verse 16, say amen when you're there. Okay. Uh, John's Gospel, not John's Epistle. John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yep, okay. Uh, chapter 14, verse 16. Now he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That who may abide? That he may abide. Now that pronoun he there, in some of your new King James, may be capitalized, the capital H, right? And the reason why they capitalize the H in he is because it's what's called a... The Greek is, uh, what do they call that? Um, the neuter, it's called a neuter masculine pronoun. Neuter is, it doesn't have a gender. It's what's used as the spirit. And the same pronoun that he uses for the Holy Spirit here in he is the same pronoun that he uses for until he be taken out of the way in Second Thessalonians. All right. And why is that important? Because look what he says in verse 17. He says the spirit of truth. I'm, I'm still in the gospel of John here. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him for what he dwells with you and he shall be in you. Amen. So the he is where? In me. So if the he is in me, then who is he that hinders? We are. The Holy Spirit in you, which is the church, when it is taken out, will then let the man of sin come on the scene. All right. Now, why is that? Why can lawlessness come in full force? When the church is removed. Continue to look at what the ministry of the Holy Spirit's role is right now in the church. First, he says he will be in you. First, he, he verse 17. But you know him for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. All right. And then over in. Chapter 16, go over there real fast. 
John 16, yeah. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit here in verse 7 of chapter 16, John's Gospel. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send, what? Him unto you. And when he is come, he will, what? Reprove the world of sin and of the righteousness and of judgment and of sin because they believe not in me and of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church, in us, in the earth is to do these things. But when the, whole, when the church is removed, now let's be clear, when God takes the church out of the earth, he's not taking the Holy Spirit from the earth. The Holy Spirit is God. He's omnipresent. Amen. You cannot remove deity. He's everywhere. Amen? Amen? You don't just take God away. You can never take God away. But I tell you what you can take away. You can take away his church that the Holy Spirit abides in. That can be taken out of the earth. And it's the church that's in the earth that works the works of this ministry. What did Jesus say the church is? We're like salt, aren't we? What does salt do, he said? Salt preserves. But when a preservative is removed from what it's preserving, what happens? It rots and it corrupts, okay? So do you see my point there? The he in Thessalonians is the he in me, amen? And so that's why he says the mystery of iniquity, it already works. There's a mystery of lawlessness that is going on. We know that already, don't we? We can see that moving. Um, I mean... I'm sure some of you that are older than me, you probably didn't see some of the things that we're seeing now. I mean, it is, it is you know, it's, mo it's progressing. But it's not at the state that it's going to be in when the man of sin will be revealed. Okay? It's not, it's not at that place. You think, my God, Jeremy, how, can, how bad can it be then? Listen, guys, this is a cakewalk right now. We think we've got it so bad. You, have you read Revelation? This is nothing what we go through. I go to church and someone sat in my seat or they parked in my car spot. You know? That's, I mean, that's about as hard as we got it sometimes around here. Now, look in verse 8 then. He says, Now when that wicked one will be revealed, it says, and then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Revelations chapter 19 says, I saw the Lord coming on a white horse. Let's go there real quick. Revelation chapter 19. I don't want to mess it up. It's too important. Revelation chapter 19. We're almost done. Revelation chapter 19. 
Verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. Say amen if you're there. Amen. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed, upon, followed him upon white horses. That's you right there. And the armies that were in heaven followed upon him in white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15, in the mouth of, in this, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress, which is the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. All right. So that chapter 19, 11 through 16 there is what he's talking about in verse 8 of chapter 2 in Thessalonians. Then shall the wicked one be revealed, but the Lord will consume him. What? With the spirit of his mouth, he says. What comes out of his mouth? Revelation said it's the word of God. It's like a sharp sword. Amen. Yep. It's the same sword that we have today to slay our enemies in this present time. So, what do we have there then? So let's just draw this on a board real fast. So we got over here on one end, we got the day of the Lord. Amen? That's the day of the Lord. And they thought they had missed the day of the Lord. All right. They thought they had missed it. But Paul said there are some things that have to happen first. All right. The first thing he said that has to happen, right, was what? The great falling away. So the first thing we have to have is the falling away. The falling away. That's the, fir that's the first thing. That's one of the things he listed. The second thing he listed was what? The man of sin revealed. The man of sin. The man of sin is revealed. hope I spelled that right. Okay. The man of sin is revealed. Now... Right after he said, now before the man of sin can be revealed, what did he say? The church has to be removed from the earth because the Holy Spirit in the church is what restrains lawlessness in the earth. It's like it's got it on, it's got, the lawlessness is under reins at the moment, amen? But when the church is removed, whoosh, the reins of evil, that's, you know, that's what's going to, let this man of sin be revealed. The man of sin cannot be revealed why the church is in the earth. Think about us as a nation. Why does America support Israel so much? Because we are like Holy Ghost people, most of us in America. I mean, America as a whole is a pretty... Um, 
as a pretty uh, strong Christian nation. They, I mean, the Assemblies of God out of America, uh, you know, in the, in their, you know, through the 50s to the 90s were like, they sent missionaries all over the world, amen? I mean, the AOG in America, Springfield, Missouri, was one of the number one denominations sending missionaries all over the world. Amen. And it came from right here in America. You know, there was a time in the 1800s where the UK had that mantle. And you can see the mystery of lawlessness working. And you can see the fire of God that has dwindled in the UK over the years. And the Lord moved His fire over America. And America began to burn. And they begin to have revival. And they begin to have great moves of the Spirit. And they would send missionaries over the earth. Amen? And now you can see a cooling off. And that same kind of cooling off that happened in Britain is happening in America. You can see it. And so that is what the Bible calls it the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness, okay? Now, it's a mystery, but it will not be a secret pretty soon, amen? Because now it is debatable, but I still think the falling away, he mentions those two things. He says, the falling away comes first, then the man of sin is revealed. Remember, the sin of man, it brings the man of sin. Amen? Now, if you have the Holy Spirit in the church right here, the harpazo, or the gathering of the saints with the Holy Spirit in them. You see, without the church, there is no, there is no salt in the earth. There is no preaching of righteousness. There's no preaching of the kingdom of heaven. Without the church in the earth, could you imagine what, is gonna, what the earth is going to become like without a preserving factor like the church? I mean... That's a pretty scary thought if you ask me. So when you have the gathering that comes, it will set up the falling away. Now, a couple more verses here because you'll see this right here. You say, oh, how's this all going to happen? Look at this. It says in verse 9, Now, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, we're almost done, with all power and signs and lying wonders, verse 9, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So why the church is here, the people that are on the earth have not been listening to the truth being preached for generations and generations and generations. And so he says, he's going to come, and in verse 11... Because they rejected the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11 says, For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. But another good translation is the lie. What is the lie? That the man of sin is Christ come back to the earth. That the man of sin is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. That's the lie. 
because they rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that was in love and truth for so long, who will send a delusion? God will send a delusion. And he will send a delusion to their hard hearts that they will believe that the man of sin is the great Messiah that has been promised that is going to bring peace on earth, that is going to solve all our problems. In verse 12, it says that they all might be judged who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. And that's the key there, because they love unrighteousness instead of the truth. Amen. And that's what sets the earth up for this great deception and believing in the man of sin as the Messiah. And that's what Daniel chapter 9 was all about, when the man of sin comes on the scene. So where does that leave us? My, Like we say, we got lots of great men out there who, who, who think about different things. But I believe if you take Daniel as the time frame, and he said to Daniel, seven years has been determined. Well, first, 70 years has been determined for your people. Who is Daniel's people? Israel. So 69 years passed. We've got seven years left. Who's those seven years for? They're for Israel. The seven years left are for Israel. The seven years of the great tribulation that we see in Revelation, that we see that what's going to come in this time frame, it's not for the church, gang. The scripture doesn't teach that it's for the church. The scripture teaches that it's for Israel. God is going to deal with Israel in the final days of planet Earth in the same way that he dealt with Pharaoh in the days of Moses. It's the same parallel scenario. The church was never mentioned in the Old Testament. They couldn't see it. That's why Paul said it was a mystery given to me by Jesus Christ to reveal the church. They never saw the church in the Old Testament. And you know what? When God starts dealing in the last seven years in Old Testament ways like he did in the beginning, you're not going to see the church either. And when you compare Scripture with Scripture and you divide the word rightly, I, I, can't, I can't see it other, any other way. But there's a, like I say, that's my opinion. There's a lot of great men out there that may believe otherwise. But I think if you rightly divide the word and you see Israel... In Daniel chapter 9, and you see Thessalonians chapter 2, where the, man, the day of the Lord cannot happen until the man of sin is revealed, and there'll be a falling away, but the man of sin and the falling away cannot be revealed because there's a great restrainer or a hinderer called the Holy Spirit in you and in me, the church. And until the church is harpazoed out of the earth, we are a restrainer of the wicked one to be revealed. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hope you got something out of that tonight. Hallelujah.